First Timothy chapter six from verse six to verse nineteen. For godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your great confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in irreproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Just a one-off today, uh, looking at this topic, what does it mean to be a man of God? I wonder if you can guess who the number one most Googled person was last year. Any guesses? I'm listening. Some of you are not brave enough to say it loud enough. Elon Musk? Elon Musk, no. Andrew Tate. Over here somewhere? Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate, yes. Right, who knows who Andrew Tate is? Put your hand up. Oh, okay, that's about a third, I reckon. So, Andrew Tate is um, uh, a self-described misogynist. Um, he's an ex-kickboxing champion, um, a real social media personality. Um, for the last few years, he's made his money creating pornography and by operating a pyramid scheme, basically. Um, just at the end of December, he was arrested for human trafficking, trafficking offences in Romania. Romania? Romania. Um, he describes his job as this, okay? To meet a girl, go on a few dates, sleep with her, get her to fall in love with me, to where she'd do anything I'd say, 
and then get her on a webcam so that we can get rich together. Sounds retained. And you might say this morning, well, I've never heard of him, who cares? Um, Over 13 billion of his videos, his videos have been watched over 13 billion times. He is a hero to millions and millions of young men in this country, and I suspect in other countries too. Men in, young men in their teens and 20s. And you might think, well, that is absolutely appalling. And it is, it is appalling. But you know, he, he is tapping into something real. There's an epidemic of young men who are attracted to this stuff. Uh, just for one minute, if you bear with me, we're going to do some sociology. Just for one minute, I promise. Okay? So our, our culture says men are a problem, basically. Um, and there's a whole generation of young men who, who lack purpose, who, who see... Um, who've seen women and girls overtake them, statistically, in every area, pretty much. Um, and they just feel left behind. Women do better educationally. In, in many areas of life, women have better job opportunities. Because the things that, that men have been traditionally good at, things like digging holes, and shoveling coal, and uh, firing guns, and ploughing fields, those are not... And we laugh, don't we? Because... Because it's so ridiculous now to us. Those are the things that historically men have been good at. And those things are just not that relevant for most people today. Instead, what does our culture hold up? Our culture values things like social intelligence, open communication, sitting still and listening. (laughs) And, And women, on average, are just much better at those kind of things. So there's a whole generation of young men who just feel left behind. And at the same time, radical feminism is telling men that they're to blame for for all society's ills. Friends, that is why our culture, millions of young men in our culture, adore this guy. Adore Andrew Tate. People like him give them meaning and validation and significance Because he says, basically, take power back. Wrestle power back from women and then learn to dominate women again. Now, (laughs) maybe those three images might kind of help to sum it up a little bit. I want to say today that Christianity tells a better story. Christianity tells a better story than Andrew Tate and his billions of views on YouTube and TikTok. Listen to this. You put the next one on. And I'm speaking mostly to the men this morning. Okay, If you're a woman, I'm not saying turn off. I hope you find this helpful and interesting. But guys, this is for you primarily this morning. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Where do we start with this? Man of God. Man of God. Start with identity. Who are you today? Men, who are you? What, what defines who you are? You know, 
when God defines who he is, he reveals himself as almost exclusively in male terms. God, of course, doesn't have a body, but, but Jesus came as a man. And therefore, guys, we have a model to follow. We have a model to follow Jesus. When we say man of God, what, what does that actually say? Uh, 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 saying, you know, if you're a Christian man, you're, you're not a man of the world. It's the opposite, isn't it? You know, we, so we talk in, our, in English, we talk about someone who's a man of the world is someone who's, I don't know, sophisticated, they're not naive, they understand how the world works, okay? Someone who belongs to the world, man of the world, you belong to the world, you understand the world. No, 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 men here, that's not who you are. Men of God, that's who you belong to. You're not owned by the world out there, you're owned by God. He is the one who has authority over you. You say, maybe this morning you say, well, I don't want to be under authority. I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own person. You know, even Jesus said, I do exactly as my Father has commanded me. John 14, 31. Jesus, the model man, is a man under authority. Guys, the idea of, of being manly, meaning do what you want, be powerful, dominate everything else and everyone else, that is not a Christian idea. That's, Christianity stands against that, the abuse of power. Christianity says, if you're a man of God, you are accountable. You do not stand on your own. You are an accountable person. You are a servant. You obey God. That's what a man of God is. A man who belongs to God. And then it says, um, men of God, man of God, flee from all this. Well, what, what's all this? What's it talking about? Well, of course it means what's just been said previously. So if you have your Bible open there in chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, you'll see it hits on one of the things that many, many men are driven by. Just the previous verse, verse 10. The love of money is the root of, uh, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What does it say? Flee from all this. Or what? The love of money. Flee from. Free from. Flee from the love of money. Hey, it's interesting. It doesn't just say avoid the love of money. It says flee from it. Run from it. Be careful. Run like crazy. Away from the idea of loving money. Why? Verse 9 tells us. Because it will suck you in and it will trap you. Guys, so many, so many men fall for this. Verse 9 says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know, our world says money will buy freedom. Money will fix everything. Money makes the world go round. Money will sort you out. If you have money, you can do what you like. But it's not completely untrue, is it? But fundamentally, there's a lie there. 
Because it's an illusion. It's an illusion. The pursuit of wealth feels like freedom. But actually what it's doing is it's tempting you into something very dangerous. It will trap you. It will ruin you, the scriptures say. It will destroy you. Maybe today you say, well, you know, I, I look around, I see wealthy people, they don't look trapped or destroyed. They look, they look pretty happy, you know, they're with the lottery, they're really happy. Well, okay, on one level we know that's not true anyway, don't we? Because we all know, we all know that, that wealth doesn't bring happiness, the old cliche, you know, we all know that, that, um, that wealthy people can be some of the loneliest and most paranoid people on earth. Okay, so just on face value, it's nonsense anyway. But, but more importantly, you can be trapped by the idea of self-sufficiency. If you have money, you're much more likely to say, I don't need God. I'm powerful, I'm successful, I've, I've got everything I need. I don't need God. And that belief, that belief, is what leads to eternal destruction. That belief is what leads people to hell. You think money will be your saviour? You think money will rescue you? It's an illusion. It's a lie and it's a dangerous one. Because trusting in money will lead you to hell eventually. The truth is, friends, that we are tiny, fragile creatures teetering on the edge of death every moment of every day. In the blink of an eye, you can step out into the road and your life is over. You can be driving down the motorway at 70 miles an hour and your tyre blows out and your car somersaults through the air and you go through the windscreen and you are dead. It can happen at any moment. At any moment, your heart can stop beating. And in that moment, as you then stand before Jesus, all the money you have in the whole world becomes utterly insignificant. It's completely meaningless, completely pointless, because all the money in the whole world cannot atone for one single sin. That's why the love of money is a temptation and a trap. People think it will save them, and it won't and it can't. Money doesn't buy the kind of power that ultimately matters. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that's true? Do you live like that's true? How how do you flee from the love of money? How do you do that? It explains in the scriptures, verse 17, 18, 19, What it doesn't say, interestingly, is avoid money and live in a cave. Sometimes Christians have made that mistake over the years, you know, taking a a vow of poverty or something and, you know, decided to go and live in a cave on a mountainside somewhere and, you know, not have any possessions. Scriptures never tell us to do that. Instead, look at verse 18. It says, be generous and willing to share. That's how you avoid the love of money. Be generous and willing to share. How does that help? Because it shows that your hope is in God and not in your money. Verse 17 says, 
Command those who are rich in this present world. Okay, rich people, people who put with money. I know it's not everyone, but some people here. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But instead, put your hope in God. See, the problem is the temptation is to put your hope in your wealth. And if you are generous, if you're generous in giving away your money, giving away your wealth and doing good with it, it shows, it demonstrates that you are not hoping in that. It shows that your faith, your trust is not in your money. It shows that it's not the ultimate thing in your life. What about you this morning? I, you know, obviously, not everyone here has money. I get that, all right? But if you do have money, what do you, what do you like with it? You're tight, you're stingy with it. You're tight and stingy because you're relying on your money far more than you like to admit. What we do with our money shows what we really treasure, where our treasure really is. Verse 19. When, see, when you're generous and you're willing to share, what you're doing, verse, nine, is you're, you're, verse 19, you're laying up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age. Not this age. You're generous with your money, you're laying up treasure for yourself in the coming age, in the age to come. It shows you're thinking forward to take hold of the life that is truly life. Not the nonsense one that Andrew Tate promises. Shows you investing in eternity. Jesus said, didn't he? Um, Matthew 6, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves cannot break in and take it. You know, as you give, as you're generous with your money now, you invest it in the bank of heaven. And, and the bank of heaven has a fabulous interest rate, friends. Much better than the Bank of England. It's a great investment. I, I, I read this. I found this so helpful. Um, someone said once, it, it, people think they ought to be generous because other people need it. Like people think, well, I ought to be generous because, I don't know, the church roof needs fixing. It doesn't. Um, but people think I, need to, I should be generous because other people need it more than I do. That might be true, but that's not the main reason why you need to be generous. The main reason you need to be generous is for you. It's God's way of protecting us against greed. It's God's way of protecting us against relying on wealth. So I say to young men this morning who, who think the pursuit of wealth will result in them getting all they want. No, 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 no. You cannot be a man of God and pursue wealth in that way. To spend on yourself. You cannot serve both God and money. You've got to look elsewhere. Otherwise it will destroy you. I wasn't really planning to talk about money this morning. <laughs> but there you go. It came up in the passage. But, but it, says, it says flee that. Okay, That's what you've got to flee from. Man of God. You flee from the love of money. And instead you, you flee towards. You pursue Six different things, actually, in the passage. We're only going to talk about three of them. So, first of all, pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. 
It's an idea that's deeply rooted in the scriptures. Noah, uh, Genesis 6, I think, 5, 6, 6. Um, Noah was a righteous man, it says. Abraham was a righteous man. Job, it says, was blameless and upright. Moses and Enoch and Joseph, Joseph and Mary Joseph. Um, and John the Baptist, all described as righteous men. And does that mean they were perfect? Far from it. Far from it, actually. They knew they needed to be forgiven. They put their faith in God for the forgiveness of sins. And then they lived in a righteous way. If you looked at their lives, you would say, they're living a righteous life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not worry about stuff. Don't worry about stuff. Because pagans run after those things. And your heavenly father knows what you need. But instead, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the other things will be given to you as well. You know, if you pursue righteousness, if you pursue God's righteousness, if you live as he would have you live, by his standards, if you dedicate your life to that pursuit, you will be blessed in every way. That's his promise to you. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they'll be filled. They'll be satisfied. The pursuit of wealth never satisfies. Never satisfies. It doesn't matter how much you have, your heart will always want more. <laughs> I used to say that to my kids when they were little. It's still true today. You know, you can buy a massive house. And what will you want? You want a more massive house. It's just never satisfying. Pursue righteousness and you'll be satisfied, Jesus says. Pursue holiness, the next one. It's closely linked to the first one, I guess. I just want to focus on one aspect of pursuing holiness, and that's purity. And there's a, there's a good reason why the Bible talks a lot about sexual purity. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about some of these topics because there's this Andrew Tate guy who's, like I say, all over social media uh, and the newspapers at the moment. Well, there's a good reason why the Bible talks a lot about sexual purity. Because if you take those restraints away, then, then men especially, especially men, will do a whole load of really, really bad stuff. And ruin not just themselves and their own lives, but the lives of everyone around them as well. That, that is what men do. <laughs> That's the reality of the human condition. If you take away restraints from men, they do bad stuff. Some of you today have been victims of that. And I'm not saying women are completely faultless, as you ladies know. <laughs> but I think men are especially prone to sexual temptation. And that's why the Bible is so strong on holiness and purity for men. The Bible says you marry one woman, you sleep with her after you marry her, and you stay with her for life. That's what the Bible says. You stay faithful to her forever. 
Simple. It's, very, it's a very simple equation. That kind of holiness builds strong families, strong relationships, strong societies. Guys, today, if you are sleeping with a woman you're not married to and think somehow it's okay, stop. You've got to stop. If you call yourself a man of God, you've got to stop. If you bring that to him and ask for his help, he'll help you. You may need help as well from someone else, someone like me. Feel free to ask. Man of God, this is holiness. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, the previous chapter. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. With absolute purity. Guys, that's how you treat women. That's how you treat the women in this church. That's how you treat the women in your family, in your workplace, in your neighbourhood, with absolute purity. Gentleness. Let's talk about gentleness. Pursue gentleness. Sometimes, uh, maybe your Bible translation this morning says meekness instead of gentleness. It's the same word when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's the same word in in the original Greek text. What does that mean then? You know, why, why would you pursue meekness? That doesn't feel very manly, does it? Heard a great definition of this. Meekness is simply power under control. Power under control. Some men have the habit of lashing out, of exploding in rage. Most of us have probably seen that at some point or other. It's when power is not controlled. It's the opposite. Anger, in many ways, is the opposite of meekness. <coughs> Women here today, if you're in a relationship like that, you don't have to stay in a relationship like that. Get help. <laughs> don't, don't feel you've got to stay. Jesus is the opposite. Jesus is the ultimate meek person. Can you see that? So Jesus has far more power than any of us. I mean, Jesus has the, the power to calm storms. He has the power to raise the dead. He has the power to heal with just a word. That's ultimate power, isn't it? But when he's taken, taken to the cross, when he's taken to execution, when they nail spikes through his hands and his feet. He's not lacking power to stop it, is he? Instead, what's he showing? Control. Control. He's under control. Matthew 21, 5, remember the scene where Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It says, see, your king comes to you, gentle, <laughs> meek, riding on a donkey. God of the universe, the God, the creator of all things, rides to his death on a donkey. That's meekness. That's gentleness. Don't ever think of gentleness as a female virtue, friends. The greatest man who ever lived said this Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. If you want to live like a man of God, many need to learn to be gentle. You need to learn to control the power that you have and use it for good. It doesn't mean you have to be weak. <laughs> it's not saying that, is it? You know, but if, if, you, if you want to develop biceps the size of my thighs, fine, you know, go for it, guys. You know, I, I'm, I'm a weed. I can't do that. <laughs> be as strong as you like. If you want to be a massive bodybuilder, if you want to be an athlete, brilliant. Go do it. Use your strength for good. Control it. That's what meekness is. That's what gentleness is. Because strength without gentleness is just dangerous. What are we saying? We're saying men of God live a transformed life modelled upon Jesus. Very simple. We're nearing the end. The next words after verse 11 are very manly words. Fight the good fight of the faith. It says, fight. Okay, now we're talking. This fighting. Who do you fight? Who do you fight? Because man of God is not other people. Not other people. To fight as a man of God is not to fight against atheists. It's not to fight against nominal Christians, it's not to fight against political movements, it's not to fight against systems that you don't like. First and foremost, the fight is against yourself. First and foremost, that fight is against your own sinful nature. You fight against every inclination and tendency in your heart towards selfishness. The fight is fighting against every inclination in your heart towards misogyny. You fight every instinct within you towards anger and greed and pride and pornography and drunkenness and the approval of others. Fight against that, guys. Men of God, fight against that. Your biggest enemy is not all the temptations out there. Your biggest enemy is in here. Do you know that, guys? Your biggest enemy is inside. Your biggest enemy today is you. And so you have to fight sin. You fight against the love of money. And everything that Andrew Tate stands for. You fight for righteousness and holiness and faithfulness and love and endurance and gentleness. I'll finish with the words of the way in a second. You probably recognise, ladies, that most of this is for you as well. <laughs> uh, 
probably don't see yourself as exempt from much of the stuff I've said today. But if there's a man in your life, what should you do? First of all, pray for him. First of all, pray for him. Because he's weaker than the elector. Second, encourage him when he does this stuff well. Encourage him when he does this stuff well. And thirdly, I say this carefully, resist the urge to nag, resist the urge to nag him when he doesn't do it well. Because biblically and through experience, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You know, what it, what it does is make him resentful and depressed. Instead, get help for yourselves. Get help for yourself. Get other women around you to help you, to pray for you, to support you, to love you. And maybe this morning, ladies, if you're single and you don't want to be, pray for a man like this. Oh, too many women, too many women end up with guys who are a million miles away from this. And, and he seems charming at first. But if he's not a man of God... It's going to be hard. Pray for a man like this. Pray for the Lord to raise up good men. Closing thought. Andrew Tate said recently in his, one of his coaching videos to young men, he said this, avoid toxic people as a whole. You probably see the irony of that statement, can't you? I want to say this morning, thank God that he didn't avoid toxic people. Otherwise, we'd be on our own. If Jesus avoided toxic people, we would be without hope. Without hope. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And the guy who wrote all this stuff, all this stuff we'll be looking at today, says, whom I am the worst. The Apostle Paul who wrote this knew that he was a sinner as well. He knew that he was a toxic person without Jesus. So we praise God for the Lord Jesus. Let's just close our eyes, shall we? Might find that helpful. have a moment of quiet to respond in your own heart. You might want to say sorry. There might be something you know you need to change and to ask for help. You might just want to pour out your heart to the Lord.
Lord Jesus, we're grateful that you came into this world to save sinners, people like us. And we confess our faults and our failings to you this morning. And we pray for your mercy and your forgiveness. Thank you, Father, that you not only call us to a high standard, but you also give us power through the Holy Spirit to actually do it. So help us to copy Jesus and pursue these godly virtues today. For the sake of ourselves and our families and all those around us. Father, for those struggling today in all manner of different ways, please bring help and healing and hope, we pray. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.